This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And this is For Colored Nerds. The weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture that we rarely discuss in mixed company. We are back. And you know what? This time around, we have a little something for everyone. The boldest takes on Black culture. Guess who are working to push the culture forward? And segments that you've come to love like Six Degrees of Black Separation, Peanut Butter History, Ranked, and so, so much more, y'all. It's about to be popping. And that is all coming in due time. But in order to move forward, you got to learn from your past. And we've got seven years, seven years of highs, lows, and everything in between to reckon with. So for our inaugural episode, we're actually going to have a little heart to heart, bringing each other to the red table, so to speak. Yes, this is for Colored Nerds, the Red Table Talk edition. So as you may already know, or you may have gleaned from our intro, we have been around the podcast block a few times. This ain't our first rodeo behind the mic. But for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, allow us to tell you a little about who we are. Yes, yes. So Brittany and I met at Howard University in 2005, a very different time. Uh, And we each (laughs) found our way to New York in our 20s. And after being best friends for like nine years and a whole bunch of false starts on creative projects, we launched our first podcast in 2014 and we called it For Colored Nerds. Okay. And, And on the show, we were shooting the shit. Yes. But in actuality, you know, we just wanted to create a space to talk, vent, and think about Black culture through the lens of two people in their 20s who were just trying to figure things out. Right. And, you know, for Colored Nerds, it did pretty well if we do say so ourselves. It got us jobs at Gimlet Media, where we launched another show about the beautiful dimensions of Black culture called The Nod. Now, if you don't know anything about us, it's still very possible that you heard about all the Gimlet stuff, and we will get to that soon. But to make a long story short, we did our thing at Gimlet, and then we left to start a new show at Quibi called The Nod with Brittany and Eric. And look, that was a lot of fun, even throughout the pandemic. But (laughs) unfortunately, Quibi went under late last year in 2020. And uh, since then, we've had, you know, just a little bit of time to reflect. We've had a lot of time. Uh, (laughs) You know, I feel like us checking in as friends has always been a big part of the show. And so Mm -hmm. it seems to me as we are returning to the show in this new iteration, there is no better way 
to kick things off, then a check-in, a catch-up. So you know what that means, right? What? This is Red Table Talk. Red Table Talk. Red Table Talk. When there's a lot of love there, there's always a path towards healing. Oh, my God. Eric, you're going to get people too excited. (laughs) We are not going to Will and Jada's house. Excuse me. We're not going to Willow and Gammy's house. Okay. (laughs) Our red table is brown, and it is not located anywhere near Calabasas. That is sadly true, but we about to get deep. Tomato, tomato, my red table feels just as good as Jada's. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. It has been four years since we released an episode of For Color Nerds. But if you go back to our first episode, which I think is important, you're going to find two friends at very different points in their lives from us right now. Here we are. Hi, I'm Brittany. I'm Eric. Uh, This is For Colored Nerds, FCN if you're not black. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, because white people can't say colored anymore. But back in 2014, our first episode was about this this essay by A.O. Scott in the New York Times called Death of Adulthood. And we read it, and that led to this conversation where we were questioning the nature of adulthood and, and Black expressions of adulthood that we saw in the media from Mad Men, Cosby Show, Broad City, Living single, you know, we, we talked about wanting broader categories for what adulthood could look like. You know, to kind of see Black people in that middle stage of trying to figure it out. Like, not somebody who had it super all together. Yeah. Like, kind of um, the way that Olivia Pope's public yes. life was together. Lord. <laughs> uh, but also people who weren't living Olivia Pope's private life either. Like, just yeah. somewhere in between. I don't even, I can't think of too many examples if there are any right now that even exists on television of women who are black women kind of figuring it out, being kind of awkward and kind of just not, you know, not Carrie Washington, not Gabrielle Union. Well, I love them, but just like we're never afforded the opportunity to not be those women. Totally. And, I, you know, I mean, and funnily enough, like I mean, the conversation that we had, which did reflect a little bit on awkward black girl, yeah. we had it two years before Insecure came out. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We talked about kind of wanting those types of expressions. And then we were kind of given this gift from from Issa Rae, uh, which at least spoke a little bit to it. Thank you, Issa. Uh, Thank you. You know, it's interesting. I love that we did this on the first episode because just coming back to it, we were so resistant to the idea that we were adults. Me, me definitely more so than you. Your adult responsibilities are also always more intense. But my thing is resigning yourself to those responsibilities in a way that makes you unhappy. But I don't understand. To me, why, communicates adulthood. I don't understand why adulthood has to be synonymous with unhappiness, though. I think here's. Or resignation, even. I think it's I think because. Acceptance is such a more. It's like a way more positive way to think about it. Like, I accept my responsibilities now. Like, I resign I expect, to my. I accept that my life is about to be shitty <laughs> for, for a long time. It's dark. <laughs> it was very dark. So dark. You know, and so I didn't want this label of being an adult because I thought that meant that I was giving up on fun. I want to tell that boy to chill so bad. You just got to chill. <laughs> you just got to chill. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, you also didn't see yourself as an adult, but for very kind of different reasons. Uh, you said that you were just kind of like 
still piecing things together. You know, you were I literally was. like, I was, you were like, I was, I was just glad I have on matching socks today. <laughs> I, I was, I, I, I mean, we started the show in fall of 2014. The year before I was on unemployment, I was unemployed for six months because I had been fired from a motorcycle dealership. Does that seem like a place I ever should have worked? No, like <laughs> there was a reason why I did not feel like an adult. And it's funny because looking back, yeah, I think my assessment was correct. Yeah, I, I want to come back to that. It's interesting, too, um, that you say that because you were also in this space that I thought was really, really interesting considering where you are now, where you were talking about how you didn't want to date. And I told her that I've been feeling like as a woman, I'm getting to this point where I'm like 27. I feel like my life is just starting to get interesting. Like I'm just starting to really understand myself. I'm just starting to really get a stronger idea of my gifts and talents and my interests and where my life is headed. I feel like the good shit is just starting now. And I, until I get my mind around that, I don't really want to bring anybody else into my space. And that's really interesting because, trust me, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about dating and just kind of life. Yeah. And so just remembering that sliver of time, you know, oh. pre-fiance, you know, pre know. like all this stuff, it just, it was like a mindfuck. Like going back and listening to the uh, the episode, it one it was it was like wow I'm so glad I I stuck with therapy. <laughs> if I could be straight up, because I was like man, bro, woo, okay. Um, so I was happy for that, but it mm-hmm. also kind of brought me to this question, which I think could be good for both of us to answer. Okay, you know, I'm curious, what do you still have in common? with that person who sat down to talk about adulthood from 2014. We've lived seven years of a life since then. What do you still have in common with the person from before? That's a really good question. Um, My best, like, Terry Gross. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is Eric Super Soul Monday. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really like to do what I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) I like to do what I want to do. And if I don't want to do something, I don't want to do something, which I think I used to think when I was younger that that was like laziness. Mm. And now the more that I I trust that thought and I trust that feeling, I think that it's like having a good intuition. Yeah. Like a thing that I also think about when I was that age was like, I was afraid of things, but I still did them. And I think that I still do that now. You know, I, I was saying in the episode that I didn't want to date. I understand why I would have said that at that time. I was mm-hmm. like, 2014, dating wise, I have been through it, and you I didn't know at that moment. Some bad once, trips on the on the roller coaster. Bad <laughs> trips on the roller coaster that year. Like we probably recorded that what September, October, 2014. I, so, I had another like two three months of bullshit that year too, um, <laughs> so I was about to go through even worse. But I I understand like why I would not have wanted to date. I was like really, I think just like scared. I think I was really Mm. scared. Um, The funny thing is, is that like less than a year later, like 10 months later, I met my fiance and I didn't think we were, it was going to be anything serious, but but we went on one date and that was it. And I remember being scared at that time too, because I liked this person. He seemed really nice, but I did it anyway. I'm sure I have a lot of other unsavory qualities in common. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with my younger self, but I'm trying to look back on younger me, uh, 26-year-old me. I'm mm. 33 now. I'm trying to look back with love. And as that is the case, I think that, like, when I look back at that, I see, like, somebody who is scared but still tries and somebody who has a good idea 
of what they do and don't want. And it's so funny. I used to think fear was a bad thing. And I Mm -hmm. used to think that not wanting to do something was a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. It's so interesting that you say that, like all those things together. I mean, I think you're right about, especially when it comes, I think you're right about everything. But I think when you bring that up. And make that my ringtone. When you call me, it's just going to Sure. It's a very specific context. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, But no, I think when you mentioned like the intuition piece, as somebody who has kind of been around you, in situations where obviously it's affected the both of us and situations where it's just affected you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to hear back and think about, yeah, actually, I've heard you mention like, this is not something I really want to do or this is something that doesn't feel right or kind of mention those things. And then, you know, then it didn't work out. And then I might also have had similar instincts and realize mm-hmm. that like, I don't trust them. We were at this point where being young meant you were kind of going to ride it out, but you just didn't know how you kind of had to sit in situations that you you just knew you needed to get through. You know, you were just like, okay, I just got to kind of do this. And on the other end, there's going to be yeah. something better, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, but I think having, you know, lived seven more years, I think we have enough life experience now that we know what to trust about what that mm-hmm. instinct is actually telling us. But then also, mm-hmm. you know, being afraid and doing something anyway, you know, I'll tell you from watching all the child programming in the world that one that's bravery. That's what bravery means. Says Daniel Tiger. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But two, you know, I think that, I honestly think us doing that thing has gotten us here, which has been so, it's kind of cool to kind of recognize. I'm just kind of glad that those two things kind of fit together. Like, I think they've worked together for the both of us. Mm -hmm. So, for me, I, yeah, I want to know. I'm, I really want to know because, like, for somebody who was fearing adulthood so much in that episode, you had a real doozy come around the corner for you, and you didn't even know, dude. I had no idea. So, not long after we recorded that, I found out that I was going to be a father, uh, and you know, <laughs> that was talk about things that like I was afraid of. It had to just do anyway. Uh, you remember me at that point. I was... Oh, man. Horror. I was terrified. I was terrified for all the reasons Not that we outlined word. in this episode. I had talked so much about, you know, just being afraid of having to be resigned to life. And, you know, I grew up and my parents, my parents both worked so hard, so hard to take care of us. And I think what I feared was, like, having to give as much as they did, to be frank. Like, mm. seeing what it did to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, seeing kind of how, how it ran them down, how they didn't have opportunities to always kind of do and live the type of life that they wanted. I think I was very afraid of that. And so, if I was going to be an adult, because what I knew of being an adult, that meant that was my life. And so, it was mm. interesting when I found out Eve was going to be born, it forced me, one, to reckon with that shit and reckon with an idea of adulthood that I could, like, live with. And so I honestly look back at that person and, you, you know, you brought out the positives. Uh, but one of the things I think I recognize is like a little bit of the stress. And mm-hmm. like I think my pattern often is like feeling a, a massive degree of stress and then figuring out how to process it in hindsight. And I, I want to go back to that particular person and say start now. Because, you know, at that time... <laughs> We were gearing up. We were gearing up for a pretty massive sea change in our life, whether it be work, whether yeah. it be personal yeah. lives, like everything, friendship, everything, family. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And, you know, I 
I started therapy once I found out that my daughter was coming. That like that's kind of the like the big thing. If I'm if I'm just being straight up, I was not mm-hmm. in therapy before that happened. Um, and I wish I had started before because I hate that I had to start such a meaningful relationship with myself out of fear. And I look back at that person. I just want to tell him, you're going to be afraid. The way your anxiety works, that, that's not going away. But there's mm-hmm. so many other things that are great in your life that like, that is such a small part of it. In Fort Worth, you said something like that. I, don't, I, I won't call it I that. Literally, I did say something like that. Something like that. I did. And I, I was not listening. No. Uh, and I couldn't listen. I was, no. you know, no. you know me, very stubborn. <laughs> but like, I couldn't hear that. And I couldn't hear that that fear is not the most important part. I would sometimes, I, I think the thing I still have in common, and I know, I know a little bit more of how to check now, is that like, the fear is telling me something, but it's not, you know, it's not the most important part of what I'm feeling. And I think mm. being able to separate those things have been really important. So I think, you know, recognizing my stress and recognizing that as a means of something that I think I will always have to kind of work on and always have to process, I think was really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but again, similar to you, learning that that's not the totality of me. Because <laughs> sometimes I would let yeah. it be. I would <laughs> let just I'm stressed be like the default. Yeah. You've told me it a couple of times that that's not fun for you. So, yeah. No. <laughs> but also, I mean, there's just other ways to get, there's other ways to get things done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, like, you know, things just kind of come together after a while. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's not like everything is perfect. A lot of things could be different. A lot of things could be better. <laughs> but um, yeah. things kind of come together, and then they fall apart again, and they come back together. And then your mental state comes back together and falls apart again and comes back together. But like now that we're a little older, I think we understand that like that's just kind of like the course of life and that like things falling apart and coming back together or you feeling like you are on the last brain cell that you have. It's it's temporary. It's part of the process. Um, And like it's just a part of just like life's cycle. But we didn't know that back then. And so we, we were no freaked idea. out by like every single like wave that hit us in life was just like, it broke our brains in half. <laughs> yeah. And funny enough, that was just kind of the beginning because, uh, you know, a lot of life happened uh, after that. Yeah. We recorded that episode in a space, you know, where we were just, it was still just a project for us to have fun with. Uh, this is the thing we can do to make sure we, you know, keep up with each other as friends. Yeah, because Eric doesn't like talk on the phone. <laughs> can you believe all this, all this shit? Because still true. Talk on the phone. I'm still trying to get better with that and texting. Lord's no, Lord knows, Lord knows. But after that, you know, uh, uh, quite a few things happen, and we're in, we're not going to go in depth into all this. Lord knows, we just don't have time. No. But we both started working at, uh, you know, this podcast company, Gimlet Media. Yeah. You know, you hosted. Sampler launched sampler. and hosted Sampler. I started working at Gimlet a year after we recorded this episode. Wow. And it's so weird. Like, we started making for Color Nerd, recorded three episodes, saw how people felt about it. Friends and family liked it. And then a year later, year and a half later, we're both working at Gimlet podcasting full time. Like, we could not have known that at the time. It happened fast. It happened very, very fast. Yeah, like, I mean, like you said, I, I joined Gimlet, like, not that, like, months after you did. Months you know, after, like, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, eventually we, you know, pitched them on an idea that would become The Nod. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a show about Black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. 
I'm Brittany Luce. And I'm Eric Gennings. So The Nod was a podcast that was launched and created by Brittany and I um, for Gimlet on the Spotify network now. I think with this show, you know, we've been, we try to talk through the perspectives on Black culture and Black life that, you know, feel um, the most present to us, like what we observe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for The Nod, it felt very much like we were going out to tell, you know, to showcase the stories that, you know, we know exist everywhere else and allow people to kind of tell it in their own words, but also sharing that through our unique viewpoint. And so, you know, we said The Nod uh, seek to showcase all the beautiful and complicated dimensions of Black life. And it's something that mm-hmm. I really feel like, looking back, I feel like we accomplished that. Not in totality, obviously, because you can't. But I feel so proud of the effort that we made with that show um, to highlight the Black experience. Never forget this. Oh, God, I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'll never forget the way that she held me because it was this way that I don't think I had remembered being held and it felt like she was trying to give me her her life, her energy. And in my mind, I'm imagining that fucking fight that happened at my mama house. Like, damn, this nigga got his ass whooped. It's like one street light on. And I think about that bell. That's where that bell came from, from that fucking street light. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, I don't know that it does anything for the race, <laughs> but it is. It was a. It was fascinating to, to behold. Yeah. And so for me, I, I just have to say at the end of the day, this Jordan Woods Kardashian feud is good for the blacks. Wow. It showed me something new. It showed me something. But Madea, her bridge. I said her bridge helped us get to all these places. She flew in the face of those who tried to ignore the value of our story. She showed them that all the stories are valuable. Even the ones. I said even the ones. Even the ones full of mess. It's kind of crazy to like look back on it because for such a big chunk of our recent lives, we've been either working yeah. on that thing, creating that thing, promoting that thing, yeah. adapting it to something else. Yeah, I'm curious, like to 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 look back, like how do you think back on the knot? Oh, extremely fondly. I loved working on the knot. It was really hard at times. Um, I think sometimes it was made harder than mm. the show actually. Yeah was like the process of trying to get the show made the way that we wanted to that was harder i think sometimes than actually making the show but like the team that we had was phenomenal we had the best people Mm -hmm. all iterations of our producers were just the finest most loveliest people great at everything that they did all of our editors we learned so much from and i still adore all of them to this day um, and then when the show turned into a short form streaming show on Quibi, we again had <laughs> yeah. a phenomenal team of people Amazing. that I feel so lucky that we got to work with. I cannot believe that we struck gold like at every single iteration of the show's development. Hey, y'all, I'm Brittany. And I'm Eric. We are Blackness's biggest fans. We love Blackness so much, we made a podcast about it. And now we're on Quibi. We are going to be... And we were making that. And honestly, it was that was such a kind of weird but interesting labor of love because we were making it during the pandemic. um, And through, you know, this summer of... 2020. 2020. History would tell us later what what the fuck to describe that year as. But, you know, we were making it through all this. And then Quibi... And Quibi bites the dust. <laughs> like a year ago. 
We had a really positive experience working on our Quibi show. We had a great yeah. team. We had a great executive at Quibi. Shout out to Shauna great, Thomas. Shout out to Shauna Thomas. Um, and we had a great team at Quibi. And mm-hmm. we had the best team of like producers and, and, and crew working on the show. But yeah, then suddenly like Quibi goes under. <laughs> the show is over. Um, and we don't have jobs. That was a year ago. Yeah. Um, and... It was unfortunate that we didn't get to like give the not a proper goodbye. Yeah. Like even the like the rap party that we had for our like team was on Zoom. You yeah. know what I mean? Fucking pandemic. Like the, the rap happy hour we had was on Zoom. And I, I wish I could have seen, you know, and hugged every person like in person. But is as bittersweet as the, that ending was. I just I'm grateful for the experience, period. But I mean, you know, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't the ideal ending for the nod. But that put us in a position to be able to bring back a show that we own yes, and that we love as much as this one. And to, to basically to explain what Brittany is talking about, like, you know, if you, if you followed us closely at all, we've talked about the fact that we don't own The Knot. Spotify mm-hmm. does. It's a show that we created. We created it uh, while we were employees at Gimlet. And mm-hmm. as a result of our employee relationship to Gimlet at the time, mm-hmm. it meant that they got full rights to it. You know, we've talked about the fact that we felt like that was unfair. Uh, yes. And, you know, that it's something that should change in the industry because it's not unique. There are a lot of popular shows yeah, not, that the creators do not own. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a practice that is shameful and that is carried throughout the podcasting industry. And, you know, that hopefully will change over time. Um, we've been really fortunate in that, you know, the contracts that we have signed now... Yes. <laughs> Are, are not like the ones that we signed yes. back then. But, you know, part of the road to getting there was having a really sometimes not so fun kind of ugly public conversation yeah. about the unfortunate position that we were in. And so, you know, when the Quibi kind of shutdown happened or when the, you know, Quibi death, I don't know what you should actually call it. Quibigeddon. I just threw that. I just, <laughs> <laughs> when it happened, we had a big conversation. We were like, what are we going to do? What do we want to do? And, you know, we knew that we wanted to return to podcasting in some, in some type of form. And it just didn't feel right to try to continue that under a brand at which we didn't feel like we had control, the type of control we needed over what we wanted to say. Like, exactly. it just didn't feel right. And then it felt like, well, hey, you know, we had this thing that we made before for Color Nerds. It was the thing that brought us together, the thing that allowed us to kind of be able to start teasing out these conversations and ideas that we had started showcasing in the nod. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what if we went back to that and just made it what it needed to be now? And also, too, what's funny is that like over the years, even as like the nod was such a major step up for us as far as like production value, yeah. um, you know, even though, like, we were able to start incorporating reporting and, like, all sorts of sound design and, like, having these really beautifully mixed episodes and, like, just having, like, the best, like, production team that we could have ever possibly had, there was still, like, a desire from some of the listeners for us to make some episodes that were just sort of like us talking, you know, yeah. like we did on For Colored Nerd. So it was nice to be able to you know, having this show that we own that we love so much, but to be able to kind of go back to our roots of just talking with each other as friends. You know, obviously, uh, there's some other stuff that happened earlier this year, a whole dust up with like a racial reckoning yeah. at 
Gimlet slash Spotify that involved one of the other shows at Gimlet, Reply All. If you want to read about that, you can read about that. But I mean, I guess the quickest way to put it is that it's no secret that, you know, Eric and I had a tough time making the nod at Gimlet and just kind of existing as Black employees at Gimlet. And, you know, we weren't alone in that. And that is something um, that became uncovered earlier this year, uh, that there were a lot of people of color and a lot of employees at Gimlet who just were not happy with what things were like there um, when they were working there um, a few years ago. And, you know, I mean, look, we've been working on podcasting for a long time. Attention can be really good. And we really wanted it and courted it (laughs) as best we can for a long time. But that was sort of like, when I think we received a lot of attention attached to something that was painful and negative. And Eric, you in particular, um, received like some weird, like sort of like white bro hate, (laughs) like white bros on the internet. Um, It wasn't necessarily a fun time. I would say just rehashing all of those experiences at once in public. Yeah. Keep in mind, like, you know, you're talking about issues of employment. You're talking about issues of race, like what it's like to be a black person in the workplace. And just like, that's something that people all over the country have been struggling with. And Mm -hmm. like coming off of 2020, you know, there have been so many conversations around just like what black people deserve, what we deserve in, in the public sphere, you know, like how we deserve to be treated by the state. There's been so many questions, so many things that like, you know, to have this thing pop up, it was, Mm -hmm. it was, at a point where, frankly, we were already exhausted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. from just trying to also just be a person in the world. So to have like this time uh, become centered again. You know, this time of when we were working at Gimlet and like the times when we were it, when it was hard to have that become centered again, and then to be attacked for defending yourself from it from that time. Um, I think was really challenging, but. Sadly, it's also just not uncommon. Like, I just, the thing I, I really, mm-hmm. I don't know. I had, look, I didn't even get it that bad. Like, some fo- some folks, like, came for me for, like, a couple days. I got some real dark DMs. You know what I'm saying? Like, it flooded. Like, I still haven't quite been on Twitter the same since that time, if I'm being straight yeah, up. Yeah, you haven't. But I felt like I didn't get it that bad. But it made me have just a lot of empathy for the people who go out and speak out, I think, like, every single day. I spoke up about some things I felt like were, were important to me and it happened to me and the folks who I care about, who I worked with. And, mm-hmm. But there are people who do that type of work every single day. There are people who go on the front lines and you know speak truth to power when it comes to our government, when it comes to police, when it comes to economic disparities, when it comes to you know workplace disparities. There are people who are out front doing the work and it's been so illuminating to really get you know even just a, a tiny bit closer to kind of what those experiences are like because it's hard. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. It's it's one of those things like I, you know, I, I came back wondering. I knew we were going to probably talk about this a little bit. And I was wondering kind of what my wrap up thing to say would be. Mm-hmm. I just think people need to treat folks better in their workplace, like treat folks with respect, understand the context of like how we got here, like why why black people are talking about things in the workplace, why that treatment needs to change. No, also, you know, support your local union. Support your local union. Support your local Shout union. Shout out. Okay, so by now, you're all caught up on what we've been up to. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But what's coming up next? You'll find out after the break. 
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. As we mentioned, we've experienced a lot over the past, like, year. (laughs) I think, you know, literally a year ago, you know, we were making a TV show, like, every day. And then we had a, just had a whole year where that stopped down. Where we had to kind of really reevaluate kind of where we were going, what we wanted to do, and like how we wanted to get there. I'm curious, what do you feel like you have learned over just the past year? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially in the past week. There was a lot going on in my life in the period like, Bef- like shortly before kind of running up to starting for color nerds and when it was first like maybe the first year it was it was happening and just a lot of things that like I haven't dealt with didn't want to deal with didn't want to think about um that I kind of felt like you know even though I, I'm going to therapy every week for nine years and yeah. it shows through in my life <laughs> I would not have gotten to this point without my therapist but still like when it comes to the pace at which my life was moving for the past like seven, six or seven years made it really easy for me to focus on work when anything else became too uncomfortable. I had not thought of myself as that person, but I became that person. And as work was stripped away from me (laughs) last year, um, I realized just how many things I still had to deal with. Obviously, some of those things have, you know, have were communal and have been processed yeah. communally, as with a lot of um, what it was like to work at Gimlet and what it was like to be in that environment and have to deal with that, all that stuff. But 
some of that stuff I needed to process with myself or like with my partner or with my therapist. And I, I always would find a way through work to skirt it because it was harder, like going to work and doing a good job and then getting the next job and then making sure that I got the next job, especially now as a freelancer. If you could imagine, I've been turned off from salaried work. I can't imagine what would have done that. How did that happen? How did that happen? Um, I've been freelancing for the past, uh, I'd say, especially the past like six months, six or so months. And I realized that like I went from like working nonstop to suddenly like things really slowing down, but then still finding ways to like make work front and center in my life in a way that wasn't really helping me. Um, and I've kind of realized that like, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've been so fortunate this past year. I've been able to work consistently and I'll be able to work consistently. Um, it seems for like the next little while. Um, and all that work has come from people that I've worked with before or that I just know who have referred me and I'm super grateful. So if you've given me a job or wanted to give me a job this year, shout out to you. I'm always taking jobs. Gold star. (laughs) Gold star. (laughs) Like whoever you are, I love you. But I, I kind of took like my anxiety from dealing with like having a high volume of work and turn that toward just like constantly looking for work as a freelancer Mm. to like make sure that I'm making money. And now I've kind of reached a point where like I've done good. And, (laughs) and like, I've realized that like the thing that I actually need to do is just deal with myself. Like if, Mm. if I've learned this past year that like, and I think a lot of people have learned it, especially communally this past year with everything with COVID and all sorts of uprisings and mass evictions and, you know, economic crises. Like, we're all really hurting and going through a traumatic time. And some people were already going through a traumatic time that's just been more intensified. But, like, at some point, if you don't deal with what is bothering you, then it will catch up with you and it will follow you wherever you go. So it's like, (laughs) I had a really positive reflection. (laughs) At the beginning, looking back at my younger <laughs> self, but this past year, I really realized, like, in some ways, like, I am, you know, living in the present, but in other ways, like, I'm also, it's like, I'm also still 26 or 27 years old. I'm still yeah. in 2014 um, in some areas of my life that I just have to deal with in a certain way. I know that's really vague, but I can have personal business. I'm allowed. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but like, I've, I've really learned that, like, Part of self-care is actually expressing how you really feel and not being afraid to, like, take a break or ask for help. Um, And I don't just say that, I guess, something that I've learned on my own. I've also learned it from observing, you know, friends and family who've gone through hard times. And when they've been brave enough to ask for help, you know, it makes me feel emboldened to ask for help. So just, like, I've learned that, like, you know, like whatever you don't deal with will catch up with you. Um, but when that happens, like you can rely on other people and also like other people want help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like so much of even like if you take like our experience at Gimlet, for example, I think a lot of times we all felt really isolated, both like, I mean, as a unit together, everybody who was kind of like against that at the company. Um, But we also, when I say against that, I mean like sort of just like daily oppression. Um, (laughs) But I think we also, a lot of us individually had had really difficult and challenging experiences that not really other people knew about. You know, there are meetings that I had sometimes with two people high up in the company saying really wild things to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> but like, I'm, so I'm not necessarily afraid to talk about it, <laughs> but you know, like there's experiences that we've had that, you know, that felt really isolating. There's experiences that I had that felt really isolating back then. Um, but like once other people were aware of what we were going through, as painful as that was, um, people wanted to support and people wanted to be helpful and people wanted to reach out and, you know, let us know how much they appreciated our honesty. Um, so yeah, so I, I just have sort of realized that like, we're all in a lot of pain right now and yeah. avoiding it is not going to help. And like, as grateful as I am to have work, especially during this time, especially as a freelancer, I also like, I can't be so afraid to ease up off of work a little bit to take care of myself. So, you know, I'm going to be trying to, I'll still be working. You're going to hear and see me a lot of places. <laughs> so it's not going to seem good. like I've backed off, but I am trying to, um, I am trying to, however much like, please send me work. I don't mean it like that, but more but so you're gonna like, say I'm no trying to, some to of find it. work that's going to fit into my life. I might say no to some of it, but that doesn't mean you can't come back. But I'm, gonna, I'm trying to I'm trying to make work fit into what is a healthy lifestyle for me, as opposed to trying to fashion a healthy lifestyle with the scraps of time that I have left over after I prioritize work. Funny enough, that is the exact same thing I was going to say. So, like, come, you what? know, yeah, literally, exact same thing I was going to say. So, you know me, I've always been big work energy. Big, big work big energy. Work. <laughs> I yeah. always talking about yeah. working or doing something. And, you know, I like, so when, you know, the Quibi sh- shutdown kind of happened, I realized, I think I told you this. It was, a, it was the longest I had been out of work since, and at first I, I had it wrong. Oh, no, it actually wasn't wrong. Yeah, it was the longest I had been out of work probably since I was 14. 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had based so many things. 20 years. Or, 20 years. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I had based so many things around my relationship to work that it was it was just bizarre. That once once I didn't have it, I felt very unmoored. I was just like, what is like what is going on? Like, what am I doing? What's my purpose? Um, but I will say after that, I started channeling that energy into just like, okay, let me really start working on me and my personal life and this thing that is actually the core. And it's actually the thing that, that like only holds me together. You know, I was able to focus more on, at the time, my new relationship. Now my new marriage. I've gotten married since then. You know, for folks who didn't know, right. I got divorced. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that yeah. bad, so we wouldn't have to stress about it. But like, you know, it, like, <laughs> but it's still, it was, you know, it was nice to kind of like be in a new situation that you got to develop and like really see that like, oh, wait, this is a thing I want to continue, not just you know, to get me through the end of the pandemic, this is something I want forever, you know, like, and so to be able to kind of focus and invest in that relationship when I, you know, when I wasn't so consumed by like work was really, really nice to be able to focus on, you know, being a remote teacher to mm. Eve. Like, you know, we're trying to get into all these Zooms. I was Mr. You know, Zoom dad, printing off her worksheets, sitting right beside her, you know, like helping her with the mm-hmm. crayons and stuff. Uh, you know, I got to kind of do all of these things, got a deeper relationship to even to therapy. I'm, I'm meditating mm-hmm. now, or I'm trying to meditate. Or, I was going to say, know, I'm like, I'm tr- no, because not before quite. I'm we not start there recording, yet. you just said you about to start. Don't claim <laughs> it yet. I have I claim some it for of you. it. I claim it yeah. for you. Thank you. But don't stretch the truth. 
But no, but I'm saying like I'm I'm trying all these things. Uh, you know, I've talked to like a life coach, which you if you know me, you know normally I'm like that person trying to take your money, like blah blah blah. Yeah. But like you, you, you know, I just you want to be the life coach. You are exactly. the life coach. You're your own life coach. <laughs> but no, I started I started finding all these places in my life where I needed support that weren't mm. like all the places where I needed to do work that might get me something to allow me support. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd always had my my relationship to work and working had always been so much of like, well, once I get this job and have make this or do this, yeah. then I can start focusing on that. Then I can focus on my health. Then I can focus yeah. on, you know, my mental health. Then I can focus on my relationship with my daughter or, you know, my my partner. And so... Yeah, I started putting it into that. And to be honest, that's part of the reason why I haven't been on social that much this past time. I think I'm, you know, making my way back. But like, Mm -hmm. I was actually staying present more, you know? It wasn't always Mm -hmm. that successful. But the attempt, I found so much value in the attempt that I think, you know, now that I'm going back to, you know, I'm going back to work, it feels so important to preserve that space, as I start work, whereas before I would let work expand to ev- like feel every spot that it needed to, and then yeah. I try to fix everything else to make sure it still works. Now I'm like, actually, no, I want some boundaries in there, and let's do this in a way that like I don't have to get back to that point. So if if there ever is another pandemic, or if we never leave this one, hopefully, Lord, that's you know a joke. God, but if that happens, <laughs> I can. But no, I want to be able to survive. I want to be able to maintain. And I think yeah. that investment is such a big part of that. And you know, there've been so many stories about people quitting their jobs and people doing all this stuff. But I think just as a whole, we're changing our relationship to how we think about work. And I think you know, for so many people, that's that's such a positive thing because we recognize that like. It can be taken away, and after it's taken away, the other stuff, the other pieces of your life are, are sometimes more important, are definitely more yeah. important. All right, so, you know, we done shared all our feelings, a little bit of our business. Yep. Surprisingly, you haven't gotten all of it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, we're turning back to this show. We're turning back to For Colored Nerds. So I, I, I guess, like, the last question I want to ask before we get out of here, I know why I'm excited, but I'm curious what makes you excited to return to For Colored Nerds right now. I mean, I'm excited because we're going to be able to like bring everything that we learned in the past seven years, especially everything we've learned in the past like four years since we started The Nod and like gained all of that storytelling experience and all that polish. I'm excited to bring that to the new version of For Colored Nerds. As this conversation has proven, like, you know what I mean? Like we've had seven years since the first iteration of For Colored Nerds began to mature in so many ways. And I'm excited to see how that seven years of adulthood deepens the conversations that we have on this version of the show. I think it's going to be really fun. Also too, like one of the things that I loved, like so much about the nod was about other people. Yeah. And believe me, we, Eric and I are not going to have you sitting here every week <laughs> listening to just stories about our quite boring personal lives. Yes. Um, <laughs> we will not do that to you. I'm very well. Um, <laughs> you are. But I am excited that like we are able to bring more of ourselves into this show in a way that doesn't really fit didn't really fit into the nod because the nod was so much about like the world of blackness yeah. and going out and finding and telling these stories. I'm excited to kind of have this time capsule again of where we are in our lives. Like the, at like the very beginning, we were on the cusp of a specific phase in our lives when we first started for color nerds. And you could hear that. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to sort of 
you know, start recording again in this format and then be able to look back in a few years and think about how different. But uh, yeah, it's I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be back in this way. And um, I think that, you know, I think y'all are going to be excited for what we have in store. Same. I think the conversations we've had, like, on for colored nerds, and and I would say like in between making episodes of the nod, have always mm-hmm. just been kind of so rich and like meant so much um, to me in terms of just obviously how I see myself, but also how I see the world. And I'm so excited to be able to kind of showcase that in this different context. I'm so much less burdened by by anxiety and like the stuff that I didn't know back then. Just a little smarter <laughs> now, but um, but and also just more emotionally mature. But I'm also excited to honestly talk to other folks as well to bring folks in because I think one of the things that uh, I think we're both excited to do with this space is bring people you know in to talk, but to really kind of talk about things you haven't heard from them before. Like you know, to really push some folks to be more vulnerable, you know, to treat this like a red table or to treat this, you know, just like a, like our desk that's in my, in my like storage closet that looks nice on, uh, (laughs) on Zoom. But no, seriously, to be able to engage Black folks and folks, you know, who think critically about Black culture and Black life, to be able to engage them in conversation or give them the conversations that I know I've always kind of wanted to hear. And I think, like you said, with the with the things that we have learned, I think I'm really excited to do that now. And also just it's it's at a time where I think people are reflecting. Like people are reflecting in such a kind of interesting and deeply personal way. We've all went through this kind of, you know, really trying at the at the least trying, <laughs> uh, this really traumatic, to be <laughs> frank, time. You yeah. know, and so many folks are thinking about, okay, well, what does this mean for me now going forward, you know? Um, and I think that's a really interesting point to kind of open up, taking a new look at the world, taking a new look at blackness and, and taking a new look at ourselves and our friendship. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm bullish. I'm bullish on color nerds. And, yes, uh, you have been saying that to me, actually. I know. I know. It's really aggressive, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm um, like, we're going to pick another word. I know you're a tourist. We're going to pick another word. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta lean in. For Colored Nerds was created by me, Brittany Luce, and Eric Eddings. It's supported by a production team at Stitcher, including producers Alexis Williams, Willis Arnold, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Casey Holford is our technical director, and Peter Clowney is head of content. Our theme music is by Willie Green. We love hearing from listeners, so please connect with us and tell us what you thought of this episode. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at For Colored Nerds and never miss an episode by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.